Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Employment Matters podcast, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Nuno Gouveia, partner at Miranda Associados. On the program, we span the globe and receive updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. On today's episode, we'll be discussing a very updated and current topic, the Anti-Homosexuality Act from 2023 in Uganda. So joining us on the program is Ernest Simbatka, partner at Memmax Advocates. Hi, Ernest. Hope that you're doing well. Hi, Nuno. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Welcome. We are delighted to have you on our program. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Nuno. Well, Ernest, we have here a very current topic and a very current statute. Uganda is on the news everywhere. So uh, I believe that this podcast is, I would say, a very hot topic. And well, we are going to speak about the Anti-Homosexuality Act from Uganda. So my first question to you is to whom this act applies and how do you see it from a legal and political standpoint? Thank you very much, Nuno. Perhaps if I go into to whom the act applies, I'll just give a brief on the act itself. On the 26th of May this year, the president assented to the Anti-Homosexuality Act, which essentially prohibits same-sex relationships as well as the promotion or recognition of sexual relations between persons of the same sex. The act creates the offense of homosexuality and prescribes imprisonment for life without possibility of being released for person convicted for this offense. It also creates the offense of aggravated homosexuality, which essentially is intended for protection of children, persons with disabilities, persons with mental illness, and persons of advanced age. A person charged with this offense of aggravated homosexuality would on conviction be liable to suffer death. I suppose a note has to be taken of the distinction between homosexuality and aggravated homosexuality, especially in relation to the conviction. Or for homosexuality, the conviction is life imprisonment, and for aggravated, it is death. Now, under the law, this new law, the issue of consenting adults does not arise as it expressly bars this consent from constituting a defense to charges required under the Act. The Act sets out stringent reporting obligations on various organizations, landlords, employers, etc. And this has had an adverse effect in some segments of society. For example, persons living with HIV who, for fear of being reported, and do not attend medical facilities to get treatment. This also extends to organizations which offer support to such persons, um, support other than medical support, things like counseling. The Act prohibits promotion, and although the term promotion is not defined, incidences of promotion, of what amount of promotion are stipulated. In cases of legal entities found guilty of promotion, the penalty is a fine not exceeding 50,000 currency points, And this, in terms of dollars, is about $265,000. Perhaps I should mention that this is the second time this law is being enacted in Uganda. So this is not the first time then? This is the second time. The first law having been enacted in 2014, and that law having been declared null and void by the Constitutional Court in August 2014, on the basis that Parliament was not properly constituted at the time it was enacted. Although the constitutional petition sought to challenge the constitutionality of the, of, the, of the said act, 
the court limited itself to the procedural aspects uh, leading to its enactment and did not pronounce itself on the substantive grounds. This essentially paved way for the enactment of yet another law, and that's where we find ourselves today. The yeah. act has lots of support from the Ugandan population, the majority of which is deeply religious and largely conservative and cultural. There is a, in existence a stigma against people engaged in or suspected to be engaged in same-sex relations, especially in the rural or semi-rural parts of the country. The act has generated lots of backlight from various human rights organizations and activists in Uganda, and no doubt from the Western world, as you rightly pointed out at the beginning. Interestingly, Chapter 4 of the Constitution of Uganda provides for protection and promotion of fundamental and other human rights and freedoms. And it expressly provides for equality of all persons before and under the law in all spheres of political, economic, social, and cultural life, and equal protection of the law, and also expressly bars discrimination on grounds of sex, race, color, ethnic origin. Obviously, presently, there is an ongoing debate, both locally, regionally, and internationally, about the constitutionality of this act. You are actually advancing to one of the questions that I was about to pose you, but perhaps being a little bit more focused, but also taking advantage of the points that you already mentioned. So activities that are prohibited by the Act and the implications of this Act seems to be tremendously broad and the implications are tremendously negative for people with life imprisonment and eventually even death penalties. So does the law go to further nuances in terms of activities that are prohibited? So in terms of scope and how do you see that that Uganda society will tend to see this type of behaviors under this law? Thank you, Duno. The activities which are prohibited and what the implications are for people in Uganda include knowingly advertising, publishing, printing, broadcasting, distributing or causing the advertisement, publishing, printing, broadcasting, or distributing by any means, any material perceived to be promoting or encouraging homosexuality in Uganda. So not only homosexuality per se, but also all activities related to that, even from a social or cultural standpoint. So the act is indeed very, very broad, isn't it? Yes, it is. I should give a comprehensive list of the activities which are prohibited, and, and then we can go into the discussion of, of its implications. The other activities are prohibited are providing financial or other assistance to organizations or programs seeking to promote homosexuality, leasing or permitting the use of any company's property or premises for the undertaking of activities that encourage homosexuality, and carrying on activities in promotion of homosexuality. Obviously, the wording of the act gives it a broad spectrum of activities which are prohibited. And when you look at it, when you consider it carefully, you'll notice that almost everyone, almost everyone, that is, say, people in the print media, people in the broadcast media, you know, who write books, financiers, landlords, companies, they're all canvassed in there. And they are all not so far from reach of the law in, in relation to this act for as long as they are perceived to be promoting homosexuality. Well, Ernest, in company life, meaning in an employment relationship, this can have a massive impact. So what are the implications of this act for employers, meaning 
how companies are reacting. We're talking about companies that could be international, so they have international standards. How are companies seeing these and how will they cope with such a broad definition of prohibited activities? Companies and employers generally are concerned about this act because no employer, no company would want any disruption in its activities, in its workforce. There is a provision in the act which clearly bars any person who is convicted under this act from being employed in any childcare institution or in any other institution which places him or her in a position of authority or care of a child or care of vulnerable people. This, however, can be reversed if a probation or social or welfare officer determines that this convict is fully rehabilitated or no longer poses a danger to a child or a vulnerable person. But obviously, the moment you're convicted under this act, there'll always be that stigma. So with that stigma, it is unlikely that even with a probation or social welfare officer certifying that you are fully rehabilitated, you will be able to be taken up in employment in any place, especially with those which are in charge of vulnerable people and children. Now, the Act places an obligation on employers whose companies run programs relating to children or other vulnerable persons to screen for any prior conviction for their offences under, under the Act. And a vulnerable person is, is defined in the Act as a person who needs special attention by reason of, say, age, sex, illness, physical or mental disability, social or personal status, or such other status, and includes refugees. Refugees and internally displaced people, stateless people, or persons who are asylum seekers, victims of gender-based violence, and illiterates. So you can see that it is broad. It is broad, and what are the chances in reality that someone, even when they're rehabilitated, will be able to be taken up, to be offered employment with this stigma? Stigma, it is stigma along with the duty of mandatory disclosure by employers, by companies. So it is indeed an act that, that entails very complex implications. And, and Ernest, you mentioned two concepts that I'm very curious to hear your opinion and, and the views on the act and how you see it from a legal and technical standpoint. You use the terms of promotion and normalization of homosexuality under the act, meaning what are these concepts, what do they mean and how they could uh, applying practice and, and their implications. Interestingly, the word promotion is not expressly defined in the Act. However, the Act stipulates instances that would constitute promotion, and these include encouraging or persuading someone to engage in homosexual acts or any other offense under the Act, advertising, publishing, printing, broadcasting, distributing or using computer systems and the internet, to disseminate material that promotes or encourages homosexuality or any offense under the act, providing financial support, whether in kind or cash, facilitate activities that encourage homosexuality or the normalization of conduct prohibited under the act, allowing the use of a house, building or establishment for activities that promote homosexuality or other offenses, operating an organization that promotes or encourages homosexuality, observes or normalization of conduct prohibited under the act. Now, normalization is likewise not a defined term in the Act. However, it is used to prohibit provision of financial support by an organization. That's where the term normalization is actually used in the Act. That is prohibition of provision of financial support 
normalization earnest means any behavior that could render homosexuality as the normal behavior in society. So that's the concept. That is correct, Nuno. So it's quite a negative concept. Certainly it is negative. And this support can either be in cash or kind, which is intended to support activities which promote or you know, encourage homosexual conduct. Ernest, my question, the question that it comes literally here in my mind is that you already told us that the Ugandan society look at this act as a reflection of the social norms or culture and religion. But the question is that we're talking about an act that is very broad, very harsh implications. Have this act been challenged before any court somehow? And if so, what is the status of the court? Any petitions? How do you see the constitutional court or authority react to this type of act since you you already mentioned that there is a very broad constitutional definition of equality and non-discrimination. What are your views here on, on this? The Act is really subject to constitutional petitions, to constitutional court challenges, and these are pending before the constitutional court. Obviously, the matters being this pending before the court, I am prohibited from commenting on them. But my general view in light of uh, the constitutional provisions is like chances in my assessment are high that the law will be declared unconstitutional. I would be surprised if it is not declared unconstitutional. Sadly, that's how far as I can go in commenting on the petitions. Ernest, I believe that with this act, we totally understand your points. So perhaps going to another question is, are there any legal grounds for an employee to refrain from complying with the reporting duty under the act, meaning we already talk about activities of promotion, of normalization. So basically, the work environment is much more dynamic. We're talking about companies that sometimes have international standards and policies in place worldwide. Most of them are subject to equality and non-discrimination duties that are completely, completely flat. So how do you see employers refraining from complying with this mandatory reporting duty? The Act imposes a duty on all employers, or should I say all persons, including employers, to report knowledge or suspicion of employees who fall fall of this act. It, however, excludes any privilege, any person in a position of privilege or immunity that would otherwise protect such persons from disclosing confidential information. So, save for people who enjoy immunity or privilege, Everyone else is duty-bound to disclose confidential information relating to their employees. Obviously, this is something of concern, as it should be for, for many employers. But no, no, there is saving grace. Lawyers are not required by the Act to disclose any confidential information. So we fall in the privilege category. Ernest, I'm very impressed with today's session. I have a final question to you is what you believe will be the, the future way that this act will be enforced, meaning how the authorities will likely enforce this. Do you, do you estimate a very high level of enforcement? Do you estimate that these penalties will actually be, be applicable? How do you see the authorities enforcing this? Quite frankly, I'm skeptic about the authorities' preparedness in enforcing this act in terms of financial, logistical, and perhaps even personnel support. I believe enforcement will largely be society-led, the legitimacy or otherwise of the complaints notwithstanding. Although the Act stipulates sanctions for false reporting, it still may be susceptible to abuse in settlement of personal scores, 
not remotely linked to the act. And of course, it's susceptible to being used for human and economic rights violations. Indeed. But do you estimate that with such very harsh penalties imposed by the law, do you estimate some sort of professionality in the application? Or so basically, will you believe that they will go all the way to life imprisonment and death penalty? Or, or will the law allow for a proportional application of penalties and, and, and behaviors? As I pointed out, there are, of course, financial logistical challenges in terms of even investigation. Investigation. I'm not so sure that we are yet, as a country, prepared to heavily invest in the enforcement of this act. And that, of course, leads to the question of the integrity of the investigations, whether or not the prosecution will be professionally handled, and whether or not there will be genuine convictions. But we just have to wait on and see how it pans out. But of course, the first waiting game being on the constitutional challenges. Indeed, indeed. Well, yes. Ernest, thank you very much. This is all the time that we have today. Ernest, this has been a very interesting discussion and I'm quite impressed by your analysis. So I thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much. And I'll be happy to comment on this topic yet again in the future, hopefully after the constitutional challenges have been resolved. Indeed, indeed. And so thank you listeners for tuning in. If you'd like to connect with Ernest, click on his bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ELA.law. In addition, search the ELA website where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers, and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from our best law firms around the globe. I'm Nim Gouveia. Thanks for listening.